Welcome to Marketing Money Podcast. Roll it! Welcome back to a COVID-free marketing money podcast. Yeah. So, so a couple of weird things. Last year, everything's weird. There, every, no, no, a couple of not weird things is how you need to. I guess so. Make your premise here. Well, a couple of new things. So we talk about the new normal or whatever. And by the way, I saw this I stupid like article. Phrase. I know you don't, but it's like things to not use, like granular and new normal. Like some things are just part of the lexicon. Anyway. It's going to be one of those. I want to be offended about everything today. Yeah, just... Everything in the world... Everything's triggering. Everything's just a trigger. Yeah. So, last year, 2020 to 2021, was one of the hardest, like, come back to work after the new year years I've had in my entire career. You don't say. Really. And this year was about as bad. And John and I have something in common. And the Sunday after... Well, I hit Friday. You hit Friday you hit before. Sunday, yeah. We both had COVID, likely Omicron. My wife tested. Omicron Rod- Rodimus Prime. Yeah. More than meets the eye. It was more than meets. <laughs> the people, I'm just telling you, if you're out there saying it's the common cold, no, I, get it and, and come back to me because it, it shares. But it's also not, you're going to die. It's not deadly. Yeah. No, it never, like, our state. Both John and I were told we could not get the infusion, and we didn't need it, I would say. Yeah. I got a lot of confusion. Yeah. It was, slight. I would say, slightly worse than the flu. Yeah. For those that are... But it's not know, a cold. It's you, not a you common You tell cold. people you've had it, you know, and it was, I guess, today's day 14 or so since I've since then or whatever. But my point is, is uh, it's funny that uh, people are asked a lot of questions, like, where'd you get it? What was it like? I'll tell you what... I it, get so much... Like, what were your symptoms? I'm like, that's you're not ask. my... You're not my physician. Like, everybody has been like, and I list symptoms, and they're like, this is what everybody said, because I didn't have, you had nausea. I didn't have nausea. Yeah. And they're like, not nausea? And I'm like, what? Is this a census? So for me, on a Friday, I guess-ish, whenever it hit, um, which was a while back, uh, I had like a like a little sore throat was coming on. I could feel it, but I, I had been, we were off work that day, and I or I was off work that day, and I had driven around. It, the weather was incredibly warm in Mississippi. Yeah. And so I had- Like 70s, yeah, 80s. so I had gone to the golf course and driven around the golf cart with the with the window down, so I figured just some of that air had got hit my throat, and I was like, just dry throat. Just yeah. went around the golf cart. Your so, throat's allergic to air. I mean, that's uh, well, normal. Well, you are driving around at 30 miles an hour for- yeah. A while, and I thought, yeah, whatever. I had been outside. I'm old, decrepit keyboard cowboy in my office all day. Yeah. I figured I'm outside in it the wintertime. And killed you. The air's got me. It's got <laughs> me a little sore throat, but it wasn't bad. I took a Hall's mental leptus or whatever you call a it. A lozenge? A lozenge. And I was fine. And so the next day, woke up a little worse, but nothing too bad. But I was like, um, someone else I know in contact had texted me and said, hey, I've tested positive. I was around them a few days earlier. Uh, you might want to go get checked. And I'm like, well, okay. So I took the test, came back positive, And I was like, okay. Felt still kind of okay. Like I would have put it this way. If they wouldn't have texted me, 
I would have gone to work the way I felt because I didn't feel that bad at yeah. all. Like nothing at all. Again, still thinking. But then it, about four or five days into it. About two days, about a day later, it hit me and I would relate it to, I had mono in ninth grade. It reminded me a lot of mono. Like I was really tired and achy. But do you remember how long I also had mono at one of those, like, Mono lasts forever. Yeah. Mono. Is it like six weeks or it, something? Yeah, it's my, insane. Mine was like eight or nine days, I remember. But this it's was something ridiculous. This was, this was three days. This this little bout with it was three days, and I felt really tired. I did not get any headaches. I did not get any fever. At any point did I have fever or headaches. I had a little bit of a cold symptom the first day where I had a little bit of congestion and a little bit of sore throat. That went away pretty quickly. And then it was just tired and achy. And it would come in waves like for two hours, I could get up at the house and like, I don't know, go, do, it hits, go do some laundry, do some stuff. And then, yeah, it would hit. And it was like, oh, time to go back to bed. And I'd yeah. go lay down. And I'd feel just really, really tired. And then after three days, it just went away. And then I kind of just went back to being normal, being me again. I mean, it was like, and so now it's over with, but it was like, it wasn't. Got a week off, but it was not a week off. Well, it was not. And the other interesting part is, you know, and and look, I don't want to downplay that millions of people have died because of it, but like the fear factor for a few, like the first 30 minutes of like when I got the positive, it was like, oh my God. I didn't have that. that so, so, I didn't have it. Well, I know. You, was, you never get scared about anything. Like you have lizard blood. I do. I, on the other hand, live in the real world where actually things happen. <laughs> I don't live in a sci-fi where I'm protected by force fields and gamma rays or but something. But it has happened. So you, anyway, you do know that yes. I do live. Yes. So anyway, for instance, you got uh, hit by a deer a week ago and you're still fine. Like nothing happened. Yeah. Full on. Full on deer on the highway. It, but, so just to, but, but just to, to that give, point, I was a little scared of what I'd been reading. It never got bad at all, mild symptoms, whatever. Wife was asymptomatic completely. Yeah. Nothing at all. Tested with me and did not have one iota of it. But she was positive. She was positive. Yeah, absolutely. But nothing, nothing at all. All five of us had it. My son was asymptomatic. One of, um, one of my sons hit it and was asymptomatic too completely. The other two were negative the entire time. Yeah. And now we're 14 days past and everybody's back to life. Yeah. But my point is it's odd too because like – I was the only one in my entire family that had any symptoms, and they were light enough that other than maybe one of the three days I was at home, I still would have probably gone to work and just been a slug for no, a little while. I couldn't have. Three, three days of mine, I was on now, my butt. I'm not saying I felt good. No, I I'm mean, saying I could have passed if I had to, for the most part. So I went, maybe one day. I went back yesterday, totally past the time and all that, still masked and all that. I didn't need to be at work from yeah. like productivity. And uh, you've heard Bobby and, and John have heard me because uh, I just said this. My weirdest symptoms, and other than losing taste and smell, which was super weird, was I'm about three beer drunk uh, on this. Not uh, from from the COVID. Like the brain fog is the weirdest thing where I was talking to somebody they're like, why did you go back to work? You know, whatever. You know, it's kind of one of those things like you don't have to and for, like – I couldn't just sit at my house and stare into the middle distance. Like I couldn't figure out. Well, I told what you, to I do. got super restless towards yeah. the end. Uh, just and I thought maybe the change of environment would help and like jog something. It did not. Today, I'm quasi productive. I think, but no. I mean, there were three days in there where I never like worrisome. Like, but so sore, so tired. It's uninteresting to people listening to this, but I, I will just say this. A lot of people are on Facebook like, it's just the common cold. It is not. It's no, it's, 
So, so I so, could say it's comparable in the impact to your day it has, but it's not the same. It's it's not. No, come, I mean, come on, I don't usually get tired. I just get kind of sniffly. It's like how a go kart has similar attributes to an F two fifty. Like they have wheels. Yeah, it's you a golf. It's a golf it. cart and a go kart. I'd say that it's it's not as big as an F, but it's like yeah, yeah, similar comparisons. But yeah, anyway. Um, so, but for those of you worried, I would say don't be very worried about it. It comes and goes quickly. I, I, at least my experience. And here's the thing: I know right now John's quote is it was like a frat boy on spring break. It came in and did all the damage, and then the day it's gone, it was gone. You're back. Gone. You're you're going out of town. You're back. You're back to your life. Yeah. I think I know probably twenty five to thirty people with it. I, I'm not this exaggerating. Is, like everyone I know had it a couple weeks ago up until today, and a few still do. And no one, no one I know has gone to the hospital. No one I know has had any like. One person I know has a pretty bad headache, but they didn't get anything that warranted a trip to even the doctor yeah. uh, other than the initial test if they yeah. didn't have a home test. So I would say um, beware but like, and be vigilant on what you do. Because a lot of people are asking me, like, what would you say? I'd say now I'd be like, I wouldn't really worry about it as much. It's kind of like, I mean, I'm still got my guard up and not doing like a lot of like, I don't know, big mass meeting stuff. But my point is, is like it's – I guess from the media we've read, it, it's scarier, I think, when you read. If you're, well, if you're under 65 and you don't have pre-existing conditions, I think you don't have to worry as much. Well, it was the, meme, it was the meme I sent you before you even got it is, um, or just a tweet. I don't even know that it's, it's fully fledged as a meme. If you think Omicron is worse than me, you're an idiot. If you think it's less than me, you're also an idiot. Yeah. Like, it's, it's everybody's, like, just opinion. But anyway. Anyway, I, I hope. It's going to make you sick. I hope if you get it that the experience I had is what you have. I know that sounds weird to say, like, I wouldn't wish for it on my worst. Like, no. it's If you're going to have to get it to create natural immunity and all the other stuff people argue about, I would say what I had would be the best COVID to have unless you're asymptomatic. Because, I mean, three days, you know, three days of, like, feeling tired and then you just go back to life. I mean, other than just quarantining yourself for the... 10 days or how I'm long just it glad is. So that's my point is like that I have the immunity now anything that worried me before you know as far as like well I guess I have immunity to this my wife just got the booster right before she got it too yeah so, I mean anyway I know people who had the booster and it was for those of you that are interested in that type of stuff hopefully Josh and my experience of the past couple of weeks or whatever within the last three weeks have been enough that you could be like oh like I'm not as scared as I was anymore because if those idiots can survive it, anybody can. Yeah. I mean, we were so— Given we are relatively healthy, but yeah. still, um, I'll give it that. So— Hard to come back. Hard to come back into this year. Well, oh, and hard not to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I'm afraid to talk about the fact that, yeah, I just had the Omicron and got got through with it. And yeah. Now I'm ready to, ready, to, ready to rock and roll. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm yeah. still— um, I'm still on like Barry Manilow level, not rock and roll yet. Oh, I'm I'm getting, easy listening. I'm 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 on the comeback trail. Today, one thing I thought we could talk about is often when I talk to our, our partners over at American Bankers Association about topics they'd like to see. Sometimes they've mentioned uh, uh, reviewing articles or talking about some of the articles that are written on their site, and I think that's a good way to start because instead of trying to be like, let's preview 2020, Josh, and talk about what's coming down the pack and all that stuff. Mark Gibson, who is a... Uh, Capital Performance Group. Yeah, he's a consultant. And we've actually had him on the podcast, I believe, years ago now. Uh, but I've seen him in a few conferences. Always nice, always mm -hmm. very friendly. He wrote an article 
on uh, January 4th. So fresh, fresh, fresh. What's That's on? today. It is today. We're recording on the 4th. Yes. So it, it was out this morning. Look at this. And he said, it, titled, What's on the Way for Bank Marketers in 2022? And so... Um, I think it's a pretty good, uh, it's a common sense article. He's not going out on a limb talking about crypto. And he did crypto. survey. These are bankers. Yeah, that are, he surveyed some of his clients and came through and asked them what they see as the, the priorities, or four priorities uh, that they see in the immediate or mid-future. What we're going to just talk through the four that he saw and kind of discuss them. The one, the first one he says is the shift to growth. And I think he's seeing that everyone's moving from pandemic mode to endemic mode, or if they can, they're trying to. And banks are looking at, okay, we held down the fort for the past 18 to 24 months. We had to go in protection mode, try to keep our business, try to do triple P, try to keep our clients happy. And he's like, how can we move from survive and advance to advance and grow? And he, he shows another problem that I think is pretty universal in growth is, and I think I would say that all of our listeners are probably victim of this or at least living in the threat of it, is revenue looks to be down this year. And we can go through all the blah, blah, supply but, but, chain, people but, out of work, or people not taking jobs. Well, it's going to be the, out of work. Yeah. The work is out of people. And so marketing budgets, I think, have taken a hit. Pretty, of they have. Pretty, They're pretty, mostly flat. So how are you going to grow with a flat a budget? Or a reduced budget. Yeah. And I think this is, I don't have an answer. <laughs> if I had the answer for that, I, I think it's going to take your creative powers and going to take your efficiency powers. Well, well I'll tell you that's of no advantage to anyone that doesn't work with us, which, you know, I mean, this is one of the things I'll say, woe is you on this one, is what we're finding with our clients, and, you know, you're one of those, is... You don't say. Incrementally, we have built up a pretty good war chest of creative that now we can shift and deploy. And so a lot of, a lot of Mavis agency clients are, especially those that have, have been tenured with us at least two or three years, we have enough creative that we don't necessarily have to put that into creative budget. Yeah, and you can focus. And a lot of agencies don't fit our mindset of like making stuff that lasts three to five years. It's new Well, you campaign. can shift to placement and then yeah. be ahead of the curve when it's time for the new. You can work focus on that and you've already got your creative ready. And, yeah. and that, like we, I, I know right now we have some stuff we're going to run for the next six months that's been done before, but I don't think enough eyes have seen it. No. And and so we, what it allows us to do is I just did the work plan for Renaissance before this, and I guess this isn't really sharing anything, but the plant, the the campaign, that which is a digital adoption campaign, Renaissance has a great suite of um, digital products that we're telling a holistic story about. And then the ne next brand campaign, it was like, well, when are we going to, work on it and and you know so it's well we have six months of runway on this so it's not if not more yeah i mean it's just, I mean, before before we even have to work yeah. on it but utilizing our resources now that we have that we're not going to wait to the last minute so i don't really have advice that if you don't if you don't have sort of that war chest of creative and i don't know how your agency is going to react if their margin <laughs> i'm just I, i'll just give you the pitfalls if you go to your agency and be like we're not going to make new creative. You're going to place, you know, I'm, I've never been really one to kowtow to the partner side, the vendor side, the, the, our side, like, but still, if you want that agency around, you have to look at their profitability too. But I would certainly say looking at using the resources you have, uh, and some clients are bad about this or whatever, bad is probably the wrong word of like, I want new creative just because I want new creative. Yeah. So it's not just on the agency side. 
But I think you're gonna have to really look at old campaigns and and you know, Renaissance in a really good position that historically has won a ton of awards, not awards I, that the bank's gone after. So we're able to kind of use that as a platform. I, I'll say this, and I, I don't disagree with the premise of what Mark, Mark wrote, but I, I was trying to figure out how I want to frame this. But I, I think marketers and bankers especially, because it's such a numbers business, fall victim too much to a sentence he said in here, um, with margin shrinking and profits declining, many banks will be reducing marketing budgets for any activities that are not directly generating revenue growth. And I, 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 I think <laughs> that's I, about as no, no offense to Mark, but that is it's it's a it's a correct assessment. No, it's a very correct assessment. But it's, it's about as wrong. That's as, what I was going to say. Marketers, I hear bankers all the time when I when I used to speak at conferences or talk to them, and I teach at some of the banking schools. They're always like. But the content you make, how do you, how do you the, the direct first, sales? Of I'm like, I was like, well, first of all, brand building is not necessarily a sales transaction. Well, it's not direct response medium, and, and you can't do any people, of the rest of it. Bankers are not wired to see the world that way. The same way marketers are not wired to see the world as everything has to generate revenue. Right. I get it needs to at some point in right. a halo type way, and it does. We we've seen this play out with every one of our clients. I mean, we, we don't have contracts in place with our clients. Like Renaissance does not have to do work with us. None of our clients do. We keep getting work because it's good. And well not just and is it, it grows. Yeah. Revenue's up the next year. And look, when we've cut back, we have seen like in you know in the like the pandemic years that we've seen revenue or overall contract. Yeah, contract. And so can you attribute it directly? Absolutely not. Banking but don't, my point is, don't kill the creativity for fact that you can't make it directly gross. Because it's your belief. Well, you also have the average person switches banks once every seven years, I think, is yeah. what the last survey said. If uh, you miss that cycle, you're out for seven years. With and that. that's the average. I it, I work for a bank's a little different, but I most people I know they don't they're not switching banks. Yeah. So you can't direct unless you're doing a a retail strategy and like one of these pay for accounts. Like I'm going to pay you two hundred dollars open account with me on a direct mail piece. I think every seven years is one of those averages that's really well. It's like someone opened a new account well, and someone's fourteen years yeah, into it. Yeah. It's and someone so they who say never seven. does. And then those people that open these fraudulent accounts like every fourth. Four days, and if you're a relationship bank, your customers typically aren't moving. Yeah. They're really not. That's why you're a relationship bank. And if you're a transactional bank, the churn. We look at these churn charts, yeah. and like the churn is obviously so fast. Your direct response, your direct gain, may be offset by your direct loss because yeah. you're churning. So, well, and then that obviously point points, is points to good. Cut your, good point, and it's what bankers say. They do say, "I need direct." How's it? How's it making money? I want to throw in on this, and I hope. I'm not just preaching the choir. In other words, I hope CEOs and all are listening. Marketing budgets are really easy to cut because of that prejudice of like it doesn't tie. Well, it doesn't usually fire anybody. It doesn't but, like it's it's not a hard cut. Right. But it's normally one of the smallest line items. Yeah, it's three to four percent of a bank's of any budget. bank's budget, if that. Now, when we compare that to something like payroll, yeah, somebody's going to lose their job. Well, it's it's the gasoline that that powers your sales. Yeah, if and nobody your knows car, about And you. if you take the gas out of it, it can be a nice car. It can look good. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't go anywhere. And if you're not pushing your brand somewhere, like marketing is an easy cut 
but revenue wise, it's one of your worst cuts. Yeah, because it's the only thing. It's the thing that puts your other name than in, the other than frontline out of the branch bankers, relationship bankers that is tied to creating revenue of any kind. There's no other. But expense. it's funny when I've noticed when and thank God Renaissance has been good. And, and great to our marketing department about not cutting a lot of marketing yeah. unless it just had to, like oh eight yeah you had to cut well some stuff. well and some of it just overall and, we have to and cut contracts everything. and and but our bank's been really good about investing in marketing because some when I talk to peers and stuff a lot of times when marketing's cut the first people to complain are those relationship bankers that need the brand power mm-hmm. that need the materials that need the content that need their their LinkedIn content whatever they need well especially small banks that are like. And they're Who? like, I can't, yeah, I don't have any of that stuff now. What happened? Oh, we had to cut back. Well, I don't have any sales support. Oh, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't have cut that. You know, one of the things we talk, to, to Mark's point, again, correct assessment, but incorrect thinking of banks. And and he, I don't think he's thinking no, that. He's no, saying that's what people no, are telling and, and him. He's right, but the banks he's talking to are wrong. I want those banks to show me other areas of their budget that directly lead to revenue. Yeah, I, other than hiring somebody that brings a portfolio with them, I don't know what does. Nothing. Product? That's status quo. Product's going to be product. It's yeah. not... It, uh, anyway. Number two, loans, loans, loans. Most institutions are awash in deposits, which is a true statement. Absolutely. They're, they have all this PPP money. And everyone's pushing for loan volume and loan. But when you have money, you're not necessarily taking out loans because you take a loan out to cover the money you don't have to grow your business. So well, everyone's looking for loans now and all banks are looking for banks loans. Banks looking for but customers aren't. Because the same money that we're holding in our banks is there is that customer's deposit. So banks are trying to figure this out. And so so one thing again, um I guess adding to, not really debating with, yes, every client I'm talking to, every bank I'm talking to, from hey, we haven't looked at consumer lending in forever. So we need to look back at consumer lending, commercial lending, and all that. I agree, but you cannot make your clients borrow money who don't need it. So so the discussion and what we have to empower our bankers to do, which, again, is a marketing function, is so how do you go to that person who's got $200,000, $400,000 of PPP money in the bank that they used and is forgiven because it went to their payroll and things like that? So now they have this sort of windfall, but maybe they need to – advance their facilities and it's more like a million dollars but they've got more capital more cash in the bank they've ever had it's instead of asking for the loan it's more about an educational thing which community banks tout all the time but i guess i would challenge you are you really doing that are you being that good financial partner to say look you have more capital than you've ever had if there's a time to do something with it it's probably yeah. now now there's a lot of uneasiness with the current pandemic situation yeah. there's also i mean if i'm going to expand a movie theater and there's going to be a lockdown in six months yeah, we, i mean it's scary but it also, is. but also for banks i think there's twofold and i argue this about marketing and this gets out of my area of expertise i'm not a credit analyst but credit issues and when i say credit i'm talking about everything from pricing to the credit to the to term. term whatever you need yeah. i mean we can go out and market the bank till the cows come home to use a cliche, but if they come in and, and someone has a better rate or better term or they can't get a loan due to, due to the credit qualification the, a certain bank has, you're not going to get the loans. So I think to, to Mark's point here, when he talks about growth and goes into loans, the bank has to decide what they want to do with loans because if they're like, hey, we're not going to take risk, we're not going to open up for this, and, and 
All, all banks have their own credit standards, and that's fine. But it is wild that we have all this cash so we can be very picky. Or a little more risky, if you want to. Or a little more risky, way. depending on who you are. But you have to. But no, but it seems to be like, well, it's on the person to bring in the business or it's on marketing to so, advance the brand to get a customer walk in the door. And you're like, but they get here and then they either they can't. can't get a loan or there's or the bank you brought them into doesn't give a, as good an option as the other as a competition. Well, and here's the thing, again, where I think Mark is exactly right on what banks think, but how we need to shift that is instead of loans, 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 what I would say is relationships, 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 which sounds very hokey and cliche with community bank thinking marketing. But here's the thing. If you can't loan that person money and they're in play, which I would say maybe they're going to move their deposits. We don't need any more deposits. I get it. But if you get the chance to get them in the bank, go get it. Then you need to be getting it and then figuring out how this is a long play. And banks, this isn't new to the pandemic. Banks have been short-term strategists and this has gotten us into a lot of trouble. And if we can do anything in the pandemic, we have to start thinking longer term than the pendulum than, than the arc of the pendulum. And that has been, we don't need deposits. We're flush with cash. Blah, blah, blah. Which is what got us into a problem leading up to the pandemic where we couldn't get low-cost deposits and our yields are we're in margin compression, so we have no yield. And now the pendulum has swung the other way. We have to begin thinking about the long term. Absolutely, we need to be making loans in the short term. We're going to have to be making loans in the long term. But you need to be developing relationships at all costs and position your bank to weather the next storm while still serving what we have now. And so my point is, if somebody, if you have a client that's not ready to move or doesn't need to borrow money, you need to be using... what. What we have is a sunk cost in that from advertising, from payroll, in developing that relationship. We need to get some business out of it. I would change that. Yes, banks certainly need loans. And we're and so with our clients, we're doing everything we can to facilitate it. But we need that safety net under it that if you don't get a loan today, client, let's at least get you into but, a But into more than that, it's can you get deposit, treasury management, something transactional, that creates revenue? Uh, you know, trend- we don't need to be so short-sighted that if they don't have a loan, we don't want nothing from them. Nothing from them. Loan and, or bust. And I'll just say that I've heard that in the halls of, of, of banking right now. In the ha- in, in the back smoke, smoke-filled rooms. The boys club. Three, he talks about, and I, you know, I agree with all four of his uh, of his premises, premises, digital sales. And he talks about the pandemic highlighted how vulnerable an institution is uh, can be without a robust online account opening process. And also saw some other rankings of things that banks need in its strong online account opening processes. Uh, I think I saw it on LinkedIn. Somebody, one of the other consultants out there, mentioned it too. And it's interesting to me because. Um, we, we've just finished a survey, and I, a lot of it is proprietary information, but like, I've, I'll, I'll still say it. The customer journey is the, is the customers, and it's interesting that everyone's focused so much on digital. There are customers who, especially in rural markets where you've got low-cost deposits, which, again, you don't need low-cost deposits. I get that, but what I'm telling you is when we need them, a lot of these folks don't want to use digital. Well, what we have to learn is— But I love digital. Yes, absolutely. And it's the thing I'm pushing. Our advertising is around and right what now. somebody would say is, but if you're going to attract new people, you have to do digital. What I hope we've learned, if nothing else, and this is what our country has gotten so wrong. This is not a political statement. Both parties that have been in power have gotten wrong. 
is our country is not homogenous. There is rural America, there's metro America, there's young America, there's old America, there's different ethnicities and genders and preferences in America, where when we were getting these payments, government-backed payments um, for unemployment, people in the southeast and rural America were getting rich and quitting their jobs while people couldn't pay their rent in the co- on the coast where, where expenses are, are more um, prevalent. We treated everybody in the yeah five hundred dollar a month a payment week, a week, in a week a week payment or whatever in you know Monroe Louisiana is not the same as a five hundred dollar payment in L A you know, in Los Angeles yeah. yeah and just the same but they're both in L A the uh, <laughs> the vulnerabilities um sixty five plus versus the working American the vulnerabilities to the to the pandemic weren't the same that's not a political statement that's not a medical statement that's that's a a repeating fact. And so what we have to realize with this is um, I'm not going to call out who um, Mark quoted the source in this, but that same source was contradictory about branch decline in two different articles. Um, You can go look at the source. I'm not calling it out. But one of the things that kind of drives me crazy is that we've seen data that shows branch increase and branch decline and the thing I want to say about digital, just to give a different perspective, since it seems kind of like I'm the counterpoint to this for whatever reason, just because digital is on the increase, that doesn't mean that people, especially in your community bank, and look, rural Minnesota versus metro Minnesota, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Arizona, you have people in your footprint if you if you are in rural markets that don't care at all about what digital banking does for them. And you have to realize that. Yeah. Just because the pundits, they say, and that digital growth is high, you cannot totally abandon, unless you're willing to abandon the business, these customers who want an analog experience. We're just not fully there. We're not. I agree that digital needs to be a focus, though, because the analog is there as far as the service you got experience. It. Yeah, and you, you don't have it. digital. That, that's, that's where I, I think I would go with this a argument. A huge is. exposure to banks during the pandemic who had no digital well, transactions. Well, it, but it's like, you know, when we go eat lunch now, we pre-order the the meal before we get there on our phones. We, you know, there's so many things Pay I do. Pay for the check now. without... I mean, yesterday I was paying uh, for a doctor's visit or something on my phone, you know, instead of like having to write a check or go in, I just went in and paid it right there. My wife had to go to the grocery store. Oh, yeah. The Kroger, and, I always and, sign and up. And had no, had no, um, no card with her, left the house. We haven't... <laughs> Post, post-COVID, post let me throw in, and just kind of was brain foggy and didn't get her debit card and was like, are you going to run it to? She's like, oh, I just like literally loaded money into Kroger Pay. And just paid. And just paid. Yeah. And so we're finding, I guess... Which is something we just... Cool, neat things we can do with our phone now that takes a lot of you know, past inefficiencies out of play. But yeah, digital sales needs to be something you're focused on at some point because the other is there but don't let it go away because, you know, oh, we're just going to open all of our accounts with uh, online banking or online account opening. No, you're not, although it's leaning that way. I get that. And then finally, the last one is, which, again, might hark to the shift for growth thing, is uh, talking about attribution. Measurement and attribution. Measurement and attribution. And it says bank executives now expect marketers to be able to establish the linkage between your activities and the generation of business results. I would say that's always been there. I don't know that I've ever been like, I can just go do whatever and it doesn't matter what happens. But I would say on the spectrum of clients of banks in the world, 
Renaissance has been more of the belief in marketing without the scrutiny to this. As but a lot, lot of that is trust and letting people do what they've been hired to do. Well, it's, it's the versus you have to get with a committee every other week and and, and get permission to do well, your next well, campaign. I know, I know. Again, I speak of peers in my peer groups I talk to. You know, they'll be like, "Man, when we did a forty thousand dollar repostering of our branch locations before they, they do a business case, they had to do a business case Pitch and get to sit the board with a, with a marketing committee, and then it went up to this and that. And I said, and "Let's just say, how this do you is, get anything done? This is not." A community bank. It's not. And, and my, <laughs> but what I said to him, the, the person who's a very good friend of mine, I said, how do you get anything done if you have to? They said, well, that's just the culture and the way we operate. I get it. And you have to play in the, in the by the rules you're given. But I'm like, if you've got, if every little marketing idea has to show an attribution to get it done. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. Well, give me an example. Lane Kiffin, before the Alabama football game. Uh, was on national television and said, get your popcorn ready. It's going to be an exciting game or something to that effect. And it went viral. All these people were like talking about popcorn, the popcorn game. So the next game that Ole Miss played, SEC football at home, we sponsored 5,000 boxes of popcorn to be given on the way. Well, people were tweeting about it. They were talking about it on TV. They were like, popcorn held it up. But you had to wait to the next board meeting? Yeah. We turned this in four days. Yeah. If I had to wait for any permit, and it didn't cost a lot. I don't It wasn't thousands of dollars but you do get and, and a lot of our clients so so Mavis clients understand that I, I'm talking about this in the spectrum of all banks I talk to if you can't turn it quickly you lose a lot of you lose the business opportunity opportunity it's not there anymore and so attribution is important I will never say it's not important but how many checking accounts did that open uh, the thing I really none wanna, did anybody else talk about any other banks that week on social media that were in our market around pop no. and and football no, they didn't. So, so here's the thing that I really like what Mark hones in on. I think there's still a little bit too much going to what the bank wants of this direct attribution of five checking accounts came from direct mail. I think if your bank can't, when a new potential client calls me, attribution's always a discussion. And what banks are so, what's surprising to them is how little of that we can do on the agency side. This is all bank-centered. I cannot, I have... Many, many barriers, and it's almost impossible for me to get into any bank systems or for them to share the systems where I can figure out the attribution. Because to the checking account level and things like that, and that's where great partnerships come in play, the other thing is crawl before you walk. And I would say go macro before you go micro. If you've not done any attribution, at least look at the overall month-to-month, year-to-year, the bigger macro. Like, did when we increased our media budget, did we get more checking accounts? Not did this checking account come directly from XYZ campaign? Or did you can't the, jump or did to the, the micro? Or did the media budget increase our SEO matri- metrics? Yeah. And then did our metrics end up increasing searching for branch locations to where people went and, yeah. and signed up for an account there? And all of a sudden you're like, it did, but it's hard to link all three of those because it takes time. In real time. And it takes time and it takes patience and it's a hard, hard brand move. Yeah. And so, no, that, no, you didn't do a, Million dollar television buy and turn around and have a million dollar, a million dollar checking accounts walk in the door or a million dollars worth of loans. There's but such over a the lack. time you build yep. that trust. It's it, and it's why there's people buy a car what once every five years, four or five yep. years. It's why cars advertise so much. It's why insurance companies advertise so much because they want to be top of mind and they know it's a long play to get you to switch and they can't your insurance when, or it's a long play to get you to buy a new car. No one knows when I'm going to buy a new car, but me. But what's funny. If we look at media right now, what's conspicuously absent? Cars. 
car but, buying. Because they have no inventory. Yeah, they have no inventory, and it's a new time of year as but well. But guess what? Insurance? Oh, insurance? They don't run out of inventory. They don't. And so I just like banking. So I was Josh and I were texting when we were both home on our quarantines, and uh, I said I've not watched a lot of daytime television in a long time. And so I think there was an Office Marathon on and a Yellowstone Marathon, and then there was regular bowl games uh, for football and and other stuff that I watched. And one commercial break, I need to go back and look at the text that I sent you. But uh, one commercial break, it w- it went. Geico, Nationwide, State Farm, Verizon, AT&T, and Wendy's. I remember specifically that was the break. And they didn't even separate with, like, the cell phone ads or the mobile phone ads in between the insurance ads. It, 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 I'm going to sound like my kids here. It literally went insurance, 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 phone, phone, Wendy's. And I remember the ad. It was, a, it was the Reggie Bush ad at the end of it that's been on with some guy named Tyler who uh, cooked his bacon. Because that ad has been on every single time I've turned on television. Why they chose Reggie Bush as their spokesperson, I have no idea. Because he's been retired for six yeah. years. And he was like, wasn't the biggest pitch man ever when he played, even though he was an amazing football yeah. player. But like, that was it. And then it was a your your State Farm with um, with Jake. And then it was like the guy your normal Geico run of commercials. But it was weird because like insurance, to your point, no inventory. They have no supply chain issues, so they're up here just pounding, pounding, pounding for you to switch at the beginning of the year, to switch over. Uh, Wendy's is food. They're going to advertise, and then cell phones, because they know people are got new phones for Christmas, or they're signing up, or whatever. So, But it was weird, because I'm watching these ads, and I'm thinking, well, here's what everyone's at. Here's who's got all the marketing dollars right now. Insurance. Well, well, and who can deliver. Verizon, AT&T, and Wendy's. And then I'd add a fifth to that, is banks have... I did not see many bank ads. Chime is everywhere right now. But here's the thing. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Banks are over here cutting back when insurance companies look at the national predecessors that you can follow. No supply chain issues, unlimited inventory, insurance. Well, insurance is the biggest advertiser in the, in the United States. And here's the thing I would say. The largest advertisers. If you don't think you can influence that ability to change then you probably don't need to advertise. <laughs> you, you literally don't believe in advertising at that point. Anyway, I just I, I think there's an incredible opportunity that as especially as an industry pulls back, as Mark puts out uh, here, that others are pulling back on their marketing budgets. When the whole industry pulls back, that's when those brave few up their budgets and up their efforts win because it's a barren wasteland and you get to stand out by default. Yeah, and Chime's an interesting one, too. Their run rate on advertising is about $50 million for television a year. Yeah. And so I, I've had executives that see them and will call me and bank board members and others and be like, this Chime's everywhere. Why don't we advertise like Chime? I was like, their TV buy per eh, per quarter is more than we spend an entire year on all marketing. This, this is television. Yeah. Well, here's we spend the on all of our marketing together. Yeah, and if you extrapolate it or re- reverse extrapolate it, I don't know what that would be. Reverse engineer it. Well, $50 million, that's a million dollars a state on average. We know it doesn't break down like that. California, New York, as far as states, Illinois get more. But that's their television buy. That's their television buy. So if you took that to the five core states, the eight states total, it still doesn't pan out. Well, and also their target, because I've studied Chime a little bit, is is the millennial making anywhere from fifty to $75,000. Yeah. That's what they want. They want 
They want a millennial who is technologically savvy or technology savvy, uh, that'll order it online, that doesn't need a branch, that wants the card. They're not looking for a high-end wealth management client, and they're not looking for your low-end bank-on-ABA client either. They're looking for the $75,000 salary millennial. Well, I want to throw another thing I've learned out, this bonus thing, when you talk about millennials and technology. Well, I just want to say Chime targets very well. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my point as well. I guess I wanted to so, so this is a weird thing that I've noticed that millennials and post-millennials, Zoomers now. Post-Malones? Post-Malones, which is fits. We think of them as being technologically savvy. I've heard that word so much, There's that phrase so much. But I want the the, the generation, I, I'm a Gen X millennial, like, cusp. My generation um, and your generation got the internet. We had 486 computer PC 94. that we bought and some of us built. That technologically savvy generation is really your Gen X and your your old millennials. My kids, as far as when it comes to technology, they're as bad they're as just, my parents. They're just natural adopters. They don't, they don't know how it works. I hear their conversations and it sounds just like my parents. Like it just does it. Like yeah. They just assume technology. Like the happy works. birthday on Facebook is my favorite when someone just says happy birthday and they just put it out. Someone will get the person that follows me. They're going to get it. Happy birthday. They'll get it. But the Zoomer generation just assumes it's going to work just like the 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 older boomers, and they don't actually know how the technology works. The people that really value technology that still find things like email to be valuable, and and let's not miss the fact that they have more money than Zoomers are your older millennials and your your Gen Xers. Yeah. And Gen X is tough to target because it's one of the smallest generations ever. And, and well, Gen Xers tough because we are just angry people. Yeah. We're so skeptical. We grew well, up we didn't with get, we grew up with flannel shirts and scratchy flannel and grunge music. Yeah. We're just skeptical. And the world we was got dark. The, and we it got dark. the full 08. Um oh yeah as adults. Full, and we got 911 as adults. We got 911 as adults. We got 08 as adults. Yeah. We had Challenger's a kid, you know. I mean, so we have our dark. We have our dark moments too. We only had like four bands: Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, and Nirvana. That was like always, and, we and all to. of them like Black Hole Sun. Oh, it was all dark. Yeah. It was all dark. <laughs> Music was dark, and then it moved into gangster rap, which was very murderous and yeah. chauvinistic. So it moved into like bad. Yeah, it was just bad. We the, didn't have the, this happy. The best rap. thing, the happiest thing of the generation was Watermelon Crawl and like New Country. Oh yeah, well, and then that wasn't that. That was like. Uh, icing. It was not filling yeah. at all. It was just, you tried to feel good. Like, you had to have something silly. Watermelon crawl way down yonder on the Chattahoochee. <sighs> it was an odd time. But the point is, is if you look at people that really value and are truly technologically savvy, not just assume it's going to work and, like, just take you to status quo, it's your old millennials and Gen Xers. So when you're doing targeting to people who really are like, I'm into tech, the people who went to Radio Shack electively. <laughs> I always thought Radio Shack was such a weird store. Yeah. Uh, you'd walk in and be like, am I just a ham radio guy? What am I doing here? But anyway. Those are the people that, if you want to find somebody who really built an RC email, car, built your own RC car. Yeah, and built your stuff. own PC. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the three things, though, we've gone on and four. on. Four things. Now, two of them kind of bump up on each other but you're correct four things here is uh is one shifting back from survival mode to growth mode prioritizing loans and or relationships over transactional uh digital 
apparatus and applications of your bank to be able to operate more efficiently and help the customer stay on the journey they want to be on. And then finally, attribution. How are you uh, justifying your marketing spend and justifying your creative as well as your conversion are the four things to look for, according to Mark Gibson, and I would not disagree with all four of them. I think they are all very yeah. top of mind, top of the house challenges for marketers. The only thing I would say, and again, kind of got to keep it, keep the pedal down on the branding. I think that marketers always be getting all these other, it's technology, it's data, it's social media, it's this, and branding still to me. And it's why insurance companies are on TV all the time. It's why all these sponsors of the bowl games we just saw. It's why, how can you get your name to be the first bank people think of when they think of a bank and they need a service? And so I still think that wins the day. But then we couldn't just say that and move on. You have to peel away to what you actually do when you function as a marketing executive. And those are the four ideas that Mark talks about that we just went through. So that being said, uh, hopefully you'll read the article, which we will put in the description on ABA and then listen to this podcast. Maybe you'll draw a little conclusion from this that you need to be focusing on loans, relationships, your digital sales apparatus, and how you justify it to your board and your executives. And with that being said, anything you want to close us with there, Mr. Mabus? No. Well, we're both happy and healthy, and so let's let's get it in 2022. <laughs> and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual participants and do not reflect the official policy or position of any financial institution or agency, Renaissance Corporation, Renaissance Bank and its affiliates, or the Mabus Agency. For more information, please visit marketingmoneypodcast.com.